0: Welcome, everybody, uh, back to the Grumpy Economist podcast. Um, I have a great guest today, uh, Casey Mulligan. Um, I am the lazy economist. Uh, Casey is one of the few people in the world who is uh, he he a secret. He actually reads the texts of bills, uh, read about this in his latest book, which I, I, I found amusing. Uh, how how the secret to success in Washington is to actually read the bills, and Casey, I found out on Twitter this morning, has actually read the two hundred and how many two thousand four hundred pages? What is it, Casey? Twenty four sixty
1: five. But who's twenty
0: four sixty five of the uh, of the reconciliation bill uh, before us, um, which uh, th- this has befuddled even such economists as Tyler Cowen, who wrote a beautiful. Uh, uh, blog post uh, recently <clears throat> about why doesn't anybody know what's in the bill well tyler could have read it too but casey has read it so i really wanted to jump on the opportunity uh, to to talk to casey about what's in this thing and and uh, i'll tell you casey what's on my mind uh, uh where i want to shade the discussion but of course you can go where you want to go i think there's way too much attention to uh false promises of how much it'll cost uh, and far less attention to what is the structure of this vast increase in the welfare state that is under, uh, contemplation. Uh, what will it do to its supposed beneficiaries to the structure of American society? If, if we could cure the climate, cure racism, end poverty, generate, uh, equality, at least of opportunity and, and, um, and make it never rain again, uh, I'd be happy to spend six trillion dollars. What the hell with three and a half? Uh, but my main worry is that these things will be counterproductive, uh, as so many previous efforts have. And it's strange that there's so little discussion of the structure of these things. Just here's what we're going to pay. So that's my my too long preamble. Casey, welcome. <laughs> good, uh,
1: good to see you, John. The, the um, You know, I, I appreciate the introduction. It's not Fully deserved because uh, I know it's intimidating. Twenty four, sixty five pages. So that's intimidating for sure. Um, and a lot of these things are intimidating. But you got to think of it from both sides of the market. There's always two sides of every market, and you're thinking from the reader side. But there's got to be an author, right? <laughs> Do you think there's Washington could turn out twenty four hundred pages of original thoughts? No way. I'd be surprised if they could get three pages of original thoughts. So it's it's all cut and paste um from stuff they've already published
0: uh, Uh, so what what stuff where where there is that what you're saying there has been some sort of internal debate about the structure of these programs where did they cut and paste from (laughs) yeah well that's that's what you know in reading it that's what you're
1: you're looking for now if you haven't read the previous stuff then it's a little hard to recognize so of course there's a kind of barriers to entry here but people who've Recognize the, the names of these different committees, the names of these different statutes. You know, then then they can say, "Oh yeah, I, I've seen that before. That that's something they copied from Medicare, or or something they copied from public housing, or whatever." Um,
0: I would I presume also though, Casey, as in, in many of these things, that two thousand four hundred pages is not nearly enough to describe. The detail of the kind of uh, programs we're talking about here, uh, where what matters is who gets it, what are the income phase outs, how is it administered, what are all the program rules like I know, at least from the Dodd-Frank Act. There were, I don't know, 100,000 pages of subsidiary regulations, and so much of it was just the secretary shall determine how to make, uh, how to make a good breakfast appear on every household's table every morning, and, and then we write another set of rules. I presume much of that is in here as well, with details to be worked out later.
1: Yes, yeah, so secretary is one of the most common words in the, in the bill. <laughs> And there, and there, and there depends on the section. It's referring to any number of cabinet members depending on the section. So I mean, you're right. So you know, some of the major parameters are in there. And because when they cut and paste, often they're cutting and pasting a number, which they will change. I mean, you, you, we saw this in the CARES Act. They had the bonus for unemployment, six hundred dollars. We never had that before. We had a twenty-five dollar bonus a dozen years ago. and They cut and paste that and changed twenty-five to six hundred, and then the, then he had it from there. And, and, and so. Some of the numbers are in there, and that's how they're able to understand that this is involved, involving several trillion in spending over 10 years.
0: Well, I was reading the newspaper today, and, and up front, I'm glad to see it up front, an up front discussion uh, over uh, one and a half of the basic problems in a bill like this. Uh, the discussion among the progressives on strategy, do we um, promise for three years to give money to everybody for everything, to keep the total under, and then counting on future Congresses not to being able to take it away. Uh, even Ocasio-Cortez uh, uh, was, was upfront about, well, that's one strategy we could try, but boy, it's a little risky, versus uh, do a smaller number of things, do them permanently so they can't be taken away. And the other tension I noticed, which is uh, somewhere I want to go with this more, uh, the, the tension of something you pointed out, so, so your redistribution recession is another wonderful book that I want to plug for our readers, uh, where really hit home to me that one of the effects of these programs is the income phaseouts outs provide very high marginal tax rates on lower income households in America. You earn another dollar already in America, you lose a dollar's worth of benefits. So the problem, even Joe Manchin of uh, West Virginia is now saying, well, we got to phase these things out at, at lower income levels. Uh, which means we supposedly save money, but wh- then we, uh, we really trap people in this very high marginal tax rate uh, trap. That seems to be another of the two big tensions going on in this bill. Uh, th- I'm, this is supposed to be a question. So <laughs> does that provoke any grand comments from you on the structure of what you're seeing in the bill?
1: Well, certainly there are uh, – forgive me that my pet peeve around this – there are income phase-outs in there, definitely, in some big programs. Uh, child tax credit would be the a new expanded child tax credit uh, would be a, a probably the biggest one.
0: So, uh, uh, just for our listeners, let's look child tax credit. So, what you get three thousand bucks for having a kid, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's a certain is that right if, if
0: you're if you earn
1: nothing, you get a certain amount, um, and what that amount is for earning nothing depends on how many children you have, right? Okay, and that and that we already have one of those. Um, and that's getting expanded, and then that gets phased out um a billionaire doesn't get any child tax credit um and they're changing where they're phasing it out they're phasing it out further in the income distribution to further to the right than they were in the past uh, and that's one of the reasons the the bill costs money and they're also expanding the amount so there's more to be phased out um, so that that that's uh that's one thing that that happens but also and that discourages work because a big reason that we work is to earn income. But the other thing that happens, and it happens more often in, in this bill than really the income phase-outs, is just a simple employment test. <laughs> that even if you're poor, if you're working, you're ineligible. And that's much of Obamacare. Um, Obamacare, there's, there are income tests in Obamacare, Yes. But it's also very much an employment test. If, if you have a job, in fact, now with, the new, with this bill, John, you and I could go on Obamacare. We only got to do one thing,
0: quit our job. So this is, the, I, want, I want to back up for our listeners a little bit. Um, so how do incentives to work have, happen in economics? Number one, if, if people just get more money, they tend to work less. It's called an income effect. People who win the lottery tend to quit their jobs. Second, given your amount of income, the higher your wage rate, you tend to work more. And the more you tax wages, you tend to work less. So a combination of giving people money and then lowering the after-tax return to work is a double whammy on on people not working. Now, many of the supposedly uh, socialistic countries of Northern Europe have figured this out. And since they recognize that their social programs have uh, disincentives to work – so they have added uh, work requirements, as we, in many of our social programs, you, you had to work in order to get stuff. And not only have we recently gotten rid of the work requirements that tries to overcome this uh, disincentive, what you're telling us is now there are actually additional work disincentives. Uh, you get stuff only if you quit your job. And I think we just, everyone seems to have discovered over the last summer that if you pay people lots of money not to work, guess what? People don't work.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: It's actually these programs are more like unemployment.
1: Unemployment's not means tested. You can have be a billionaire. You could your spouse could be earning a billion dollars a month and you still get your unemployment because it's tested on your employment. <laughs> Once you go back to work, that unemployment stops. Um and a lot of Obamacare is like that, in particular the Obamacare expansions that are in this bill, um are are of that character. And and that's the number one program in terms of disincentive. Probably also in terms of just sheer Treasury costs uh, would be these expansions of Obamacare.
0: Yeah, now, uh, next next time we talk, I want to have a larger question about how do you help people ideally with the least possible disincentives? Uh, Because there is this tension. Uh, If if we don't phase them out, it it costs more money, but then you, you help the disincentive problem. Better is it better to have temporary uh, things and so forth? But I, I want to get I want to stick with the reconciliation bill. And one point I want to keep track of is that all these things add up. Something else that I got out of redistribution regression: the disincentive of the child uh, tax credit doesn't stand alone. There are, it adds up into all the other disincentives, um, so that the Obamacare uh, disincentive, the child tax incentive, one that for example, um, Section Eight housing. Is limited to 30% of your income. That sounds awfully nice, doesn't it? Except there's a 30% tax rate right there. The new child care tax credit I saw is limited to 7% of your income. There's another 7% tax rate right there. And unlike regular taxes, these add directly, so that uh, you just add those two. You got a 30% 37% marginal tax rate on on anyone who uses those two programs. Uh, food stamps help me, Casey. How how do food stamps phase out?
1: Well, food stamps have about a thirty percent phase out. Although they're for most people, really, it's it, it's in effect, it's an it's an unemployment. Um, first of all, if you're married, no food stamps for you, really. That, not because they have a rule against it, just just that if you have a spouse who earns even ten dollars an hour who's working, when you lose your job, they're going to say you're not eligible for food stamps. So, food stamps really a unemployment program for people who are. Um, unmarried and they so they're either getting it or they're not the the thirty percent is not so relevant um, gotcha uh, well you mean and, there's and it's, it's updated it's updated every month so you you go out of work you get on the food stamps, and then when you go back to work you're at least supposed to report that you're back in work and you lose your food stamps again.
0: But you're you're saying the food stamp is a it's not a uh, at least there's an advantage to something that's a percent because it's smooth as opposed to a cliff. Fifty thousand and one dollars you lose everything. Is that the way food stamps work? Food stamp is not
1: a cliff, so it has that 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 advantage to it. But it, but in practice, I mean the decisions for people are often you know do do I do I separate from the job? Um, I, I graduated. I, do I go into school into work right away? And, and those type of margins it's either you're getting food stamps as long as you're out of work, and as soon as you're in your work, your food stamps are supposed to be gone, although there's a lot of fraud too <laughs> um, I uh, well, interesting
0: let, let's go so back to the reconciliation bill um, there's this child tax credit uh, there's also a child care tax credit universal uh, pre k to be handed out um, uh, and uh, i also I noticed related to that that there's uh, provisions to expand union. A representation of people who offer childcare, pre-K, and elder care as well. Uh, in your this, I just read the newspaper. You read the bill. Uh, what do you see uh, along those uh, in, in those programs here?
1: Well, the, some of the childcare stuff is is interesting because that tends to be childcare tends to be, go along with work, and this is something we've seen in, in especially the Scandinavian countries. Um that unlike the two effects you talked about before, which are still at play, you get an additional effect that when your child is taken care of you, you have the freedom to to go to work or more freedom to go to work so that that would be a factor um in those things and then, and I think that's some of the constituencies pushing for you know pre uh preschool you know the government preschool so how,
0: how much is the child care tax credits uh where does it phase out? And do you have to work to get it? And to the extent you can remember, you know, because that was 1,400 pages ago. (laughs) Yeah,
1: the the number that I don't remember all the numbers you asked about. (laughs) The phase out was pretty high uh, in the in the six figures family incomes. Uh, So this is one of the things. That's one one of the things expanding it. That it, it was phased out at a lower income before, and now it's being phased out pretty far in the in the
0: right tail. That is one of the tensions I just want to point out for our listeners. Do we create a middle-class benefit, which will be much more uh, expensive, but reduce somewhat the uh, the phase-out problem? Do, or do we create something focused on lower-income people, which has is cheaper, sort of helps the needy more, but then adds to this uh, horrendous marginal tax rate for getting out of poverty? So my understanding is it was uh, originally quite high phase-out, therefore very expensive, uh, and, a, and a middle-class vote for us cuz uh, low, very low income people tend not to vote <laughs> a middle class tax period. but now the the discussion is to make it uh, look cheaper they're going to lower the uh lower the uh, uh the cut is that right yeah and that
1: can now the question is how you pay for it if you're going to pay for it say with the payroll tax that there could be equivalent i mean there's issues of take up you know payroll tax you you don't get a choice whether you participate in that and people can choose whether to participate in these programs but putting that aside If you finance it with a payroll tax, there's no difference. I mean, it's it's just budget gimmickry. Um, And that was very much Obamacare. In in the big picture, Obamacare was a a budget gimmickry. Unlike Europe, where you have a universal benefit financed with a huge payroll tax, we were going to have a targeted benefit, but with a phase-out in it, either phased out based on employment or phased out based on income. And we kind of ended up in the same same place, but a very different budget. Um, Obviously, if, if you're in charge of running Congress, you're interested in kind of the headline budget numbers, even if they don't have economic
0: substance. Yeah. We also tend to do a lot of, um, we force businesses to provide health insurance rather than tax and provide it from the government. It's, it, yes. you know, it, it comes out of one pocket and goes into another pocket with a lot of leakage across the way anyway. But do you remember, uh, so roughly, what is, how does the child care tax credit uh, the childcare part of it work? Do you have, do you have a rough sense of uh, for the childcare part? I don't remember
1: the mechanics of how they were doing that. Um, okay. Thanks. I don't uh, that.
0: <laughs> well, I, I kind of put you on the spot here, but uh, you have read it and I have it. Uh, I, help me both since you've read this and also the underlying discussion. Um, the, I, one thing that I notice of the child care tax credit is that it does not, it's supposed to help people to work, but it doesn't require to you to work. So in fact, uh, you can take the child care tax credit and, and go out and do whatever you want with it. That seems a little strange uh, for work disincentive reasons as as well as all sorts of, you know, I I just finished reading, I should have read it longer. I read Hillbilly Elegy recently, which I should have read long ago. Uh, and, and the idea that the, uh, people described in Hillbilly Elegy, uh, it didn't seem obvious that they would take a childcare, uh, a subsidized child care and, and run off to work with it, uh, immediately. So I'm, I'm surprised that there isn't a work requirement or, you know, we'll pay for your childcare if you go to work, but, but not otherwise.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's uh, a bit of a third rail among Democrats these days, uh, not in Bill Clinton days, but these days work requirement, uh, they, they, they've been trying to strip them out of every program and certainly not create a new program with one.
0: So, okay. So you're, you're verifying what I had sensed that um, we, we in the Bill Clinton era, we noticed the disincentives to work. We couldn't fix it financially. We, the government couldn't fix it financially, but you can fix it the way Swedes fix it by, by saying, okay, you can have this, but we got to see you working. And that now we're stripping those out so that all the disincentives are sitting there raw without even without even the attempt at a bureaucratic, well, you gotta work to get this stuff. That's right. Um I was a little appalled by the combination of uh the child care tax credit, the measures to unionize uh child care. The universal pre-K, which I I would describe as, oh, the public schools are doing such a wonderful job, especially for low-income and minorities. Let's loose their tender mercies upon every four-year-old in the country, Uh, except, of course, the the elite class who send their kids to private schools Uh, anyway. And, and of course, we're going to have a big uh, federal subsidy along with unionizing the provision of it. I did read something that I can't remember where it was that – why is childcare so expensive in the U S because you're not allowed to simply go to the lady next door and say, Hey, I'll pay you, you know, to X bucks. If you'll take care of my kids, so you have to have a certified daycare facility and an occupational license and all the rest of it. So the, the combination of, Government provision and unionized workforce and subsidy seems to me we've won we 've tried before with horrendous results both on the budget and especially what concerns me on on outcomes for the uh, for the poor for the people involved. That was a question <laughs> yeah.
1: well I, I am one thing I watched for on all these rules, and I found in this rule are various rules to further inhibit competition in labor markets. Um, and there, there's that provision, there's uh the provision that but the union made, you know, electric vehicles.
0: Uh well, wait, wait tell tell our listeners, tell our listeners what you found here. So what, what do we got in here? We get. we had I vaguely remember something about unionizing uh child care uh and, and these pre K's and elder care, which is now gonna get subsidized under more universal med, Medicaid. So what what else can you remember with with uh, with detail on these labor markets?
1: And, Tax part of the bill at the end. There's several credits for various green uh, green purchases, um, including electric vehicles. But the credit's different if it's a unionized company that made car company that made the electric vehicle, vehicle versus uh, from a non unionized company such as Tesla. Well, you it's know that
0: non unionized carbon has twice the effect on the atmosphere yeah, right, of, right, of, right. of union produced carbon. <laughs>
1: And then from an economic perspective, I mean, this is a big concern, the labor market's already very distorted. And if we're going to add a distortion on top of all those others, such as limiting the amount of competition among workers, or if you limited competition among employers, I'd have a problem with that as well. Yes. Um, that that looms pretty large in terms of the economic damage and the disincentives for for having employment relationships. Um, and that there, another one that's in there is uh, – or it has elements of that is a mandatory old age pensions at work. It's another employer mandate.
0: Oh, I uh, do. Wow, wow, wow! 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 What's what's in there? What's in there now? You
1: you have to uh, if you have five employees or more, you have to provide uh, a IRA and you have to auto enroll your employees in that IRA.
0: That that uh, actually sounds to me not so objectionable. I I would much rather a. Uh, Forced saving plan where you're accumulating private assets than Social Security say uh, can't can't uh, can't can we say something nice?
1: <laughs> it's funny you have that reaction. <laughs> when I was in the White House complaining about this rule, um, they, they, it's actually an Obama regulation. They tried this by regulation, and Trump threw it out. Actually, Congress and Trump threw it out. Um, you know, I, I said, you know, this is another employer mandate. <laughs> Why do the employers have to bear all the burdens? Of uh, our social problems, um, this is, goes on top of all the other stuff. And there were some people in the administration who said, "You know, don't don't complain about that. That somehow a good employer mandate as opposed to some bad employer mandates." I, I don't really make a distinction.
0: But well, um, isn't it? You, you, it's, you, it could be, we already
1: subsidize pensions. We already subsidize them. So we got to mandate it on top of subsidizing it. I mean, come on. This,
0: well, this if they it. end up, if they end up in the gutter, it's going to cost us a lot of money when they're old. So I understand, but we subsidize that. I mean, you're okay. saying the subsidy rate's too small? Yes.
1: Well, there are people like our friend Sherwin Rosen who don't live to,
0: to that age to even get any of it. And you're I do I think you and I would say, uh, why don't we stop the horrendous tax rate on rates of return in the first place? Eliminate capital income taxation, eliminate dividend taxation, capital gains taxation. If you, if you, if we weren't so much lowering the rate of return through taxes, then people would save on their own rather than have to force them into some tax advantage vehicle and keep all the lawyers and accountants happy. Uh, let's move on because this this one isn't going to stoke all the outrage
1: that I I'm for but it. that's a pretty bad pro-union. I could go on ah. and on about that, particularly like, how's the money going to get invested? <laughs> it's going to get ah. invested in Democrat politicians. Um, that's This is a big... Oh, these uh, aren't
0: IRAs that I can invest in, in Vanguard or hopefully something... Well, that, that detail isn't spelled
1: out. out. When Obama had the regulations, they were uh, like in Illinois, Illinois adopted that model. Um, and
0: it, it's a state fund. I mean, state in the sense... Oh. You know, Okay, now I now I now I'm joining you on outrage because uh, the grand bailout of all of the so these are these are defined benefit pension plans that no, will be unfunded. No, no there, there's defined contribution. So there's it's oh, a okay, portfolio. You're buying stocks and stuff,
1: but to to be allowed to be in the portfolio, you, the state government has to approve you.
0: Ah. So you know
1: what they do in Illinois? They say your you, your company can be in the pension fund if you, if you do this. Yeah, if yeah, yeah, do, yeah. If You make well, taffy, then you your your company can be in the fund, and then you 'll have a lower cost of capital so is it, it it's, a, it's a hammer that no, that that can be used on on the businesses
0: you know in that jurisdiction no, not with yeah. you. It, uh, because this is also heading the other big theme not of this bill but a uh, uh, political direction of investment funds the whole uh, regulate regulate towards climate. Uh, that the Fed is jumping into ESG yeah. investing, which these w- yes. these will all okay. Uh, on, on, I also get even,
1: that... even more gross though. So stuff like, did you contribute to Belgoevich? Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And <laughs> and the fees, uh, the amount of fees being taken out along the way by uh, people's related money mar- money managers is pretty much an outrage. Uh, yes. More on, uh, I gather, there's something in here about uh, we're going to get rid of Uber, so we're going to have full time employees and no more uh, no more independent contractors is that a correct impression?
1: Well, I don't think there's an outright prohibition uh, There's
0: something tipping the scales in here somewhere yeah
1: there they are well that's one I put that in the bucket of the the, the pro union. When I start to see these things, I try to put them in the, in the buckets, and this is a eliminating try to reduce competition in the labor market, try to make all jobs look like union jobs.
0: And that way, union doesn't have competition. Um, and, and I, uh, yeah, of course, the, what unions like to do is is uh, reduce competition by keeping the marginalized people out, um, sadly enough. It, hilarious in a time when our economy's major problem is a labor shortage. Uh, let me, so, and, and you said they're doing this by, by tax and saying, because there's a, this is supposed to be under reconciliation. And I didn't quite know how. Putting, how unionizing industries falls under reconciliation, but you said you get a tax credit in order for letting the union in is the basic dodge for. Is that correct? Um, with with the IRA? No, the IRA.
1: Uh, the the IRA, IRA, the electric thing,
0: vehicles and the pre-K, the unionized child uh, care. Uh, the electric
1: vehicle is a tax credit that's conditional on union status. The IRA, you know, you just have to, it's an unfunded mandate. And if you don't do it, then you pay $10 a day per employee until you do it.
0: Okay. And that's how we call it uh, budgetary under reconciliation. Perhaps. Uh, Yeah. That's not my field, but. (laughs) um, Mine either. Okay. Let's move on to uh, um, housing. Uh, Your your tweet that got me going mentioned $220 billion for quote, affordable housing, unquote. Uh, What'd you dig up here?
1: That that was a little bit of surprise for me. there were a lot of different sections throwing quite a bit of money at uh, various affordable housing programs, um, adding to programs that states already have, creating new programs, and you know I, I have yet to figure out how they all fit together. But it's 220 billion that it's like public housing coming coming back, um, and it, it's, of course public housing is conditioned on your income and. Also tends to be pretty low quality, and so I try to account for that from the from the citizens' point of view, the, the, the tenants' point of view. This isn't 220 billion worth of value; it's a small fraction of that. But still, it, it's, even if it's 60 billion worth of value, that's that's a lot of money to be putting toward poor people and saying, "Here, you can have this as long as you remain poor."
0: <laughs> so that's been uh, I've been trying to track down affordable housing. What I'm discovering is. Uh, the rules vary all over the place. I would presume this bill simply says $220 billion to affordable housing, and then whoever gets this money gets to figure out the rules that there aren't rules going to be spelled out in the bill. Is that, uh, that correct? That's right. Mentioned? I
1: mean, they're in, and they're in several different I'm, – I'm looking at my notes here. There are um, at least a dozen different sections, so that 220 is – doled out, you know,
0: a, a few billion here, a few billion there. Um, oh, let me and, let me guess that community organizations and uh, nonprofits are going to get a lot of this money for something or other. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, a lot of it's state and local, adding on to state and local programs that already exist. Some uh, federal programs that already exist. And there were some new programs like, you know, we need to make sure that public housing is climate resistant. Or climate resilient? I forget one of those two.
0: Um, so let's let's distinguish public housing, so where the government uh, builds stuff at in California astronomical cost, and then gives it to people, versus affordable housing, which is usually a uh, a mandate uh, with some subsidy attached. That a developer, if you, if you're going to build an apartment building, you have to have uh, you know twenty affordable housing units, in, in order to also have the market rate units. And then these get handed out by various skullduggery involving local politicians, how they hand it out uh, and what income limits they have. Um, so my my objection like yours, which, which I, I need to I want to find out more about, but is exactly the disincentives uh, when you're giving something it's The supply curve, the demand curve and the price that's below the market clearing. There's got to be some rationing mechanism who gets this. Well, you got to stand in line for a long time. So. The kid from Fresno who wants to come to the Silicon Valley and get a job, he doesn't get it because he hasn't been standing in line long enough. And then once you get it, like you said, there's an income limit. So if you get a better job, you lose your house. If you get a job across town, uh, well, it took you five years to get this affordable housing. So what's it going to take to get an affordable housing across town? Uh, it seems in the one's in Pal. <laughs> city of the state of uh, the county I live in just spent 30 million dollars to keep a trailer park alive which i like to call our, our little bien pensant museum of poverty uh because what it, you know the people who've been living there they're very nice people who i'm sure would have been delighted to have a four hundred thousand dollar check each to move their mobile home to somewhere where the land wasn't so expensive and they get to stay where they are so long as they don't get a job, and none of them are working anyway. <laughs> so it just seems, from the point of view of incentives for helping uh, upward mobility, uh, yeah, for for helping people to get, it just seems like one of the worst sets of disincentives you can imagine. Sorry for that rant, but you may know more about affordable housing than I have.
1: No, that, I mean, that's, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's something we looked at, at at CEA, different states and their programs on this, and not surprisingly, it's related to housing shortages, homelessness. Um, homelessness tends to go with the weather, yeah. But holding the weather constant, having these affordable housing programs lead to very little new housing being built and more homelessness. This is, yeah. this is easy easy pattern to see in the data, and not surprising theoretically.
0: So we got like eighty billion for public housing as well. Um, you, you live where I used to, in the shadow of what was formerly Cabrini-Green. I've actually been inside uh, the housing projects of Chicago before they tore them down. I cannot believe that we are going to try to bring this back. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's a new generation it doesn't remember that.
0: <laughs> well, you only uh, have to go to New York. I mean, the New York Housing Authority r- remains, uh, you know, one I- unending disaster after another. And, and expanding this is a good idea. Now this is an interesting
1: case. You know what? What are the disincentives? Because the product is such low quality, um, and, and the, meaning people wouldn't want to spend their own money on it. And and this has been studied for years. I mean, public housing is valued by the tenants maybe thirty cents on the dollar, something like that. Um, so it's pretty wasteful. I mean, in that sense, it's it's like a productivity loss that. We're putting in $220 billion and we're going to get out 60 worth of value from the point of the view who, of the people who we're supposedly helping.
0: Um, I, I want to recommend, if you, if you haven't read it, and also to our listeners, uh, this weekend's New York Times actually had a wonderful article detailing how uh, housing for the homeless went completely awry in New York, contravening all sorts of progressive principles. Uh, they handed out money to nonprofits because, of course, we only like nonprofits now. The nonprofits very quickly recognized the, the people who ran the nonprofits set up for-profit companies and then ran the contracts through the for-profit companies and made a fortune for themselves while providing squalid housing for the uh, for the actual homeless people. Here we go again. Um, let's move on from – and I do want to emphasize where this conversation is going. Uh, we, we are – what we both seem to be noticing is that the people they are trying to help are going to be hurt by this. Or people they say they're trying to help are going to be hurt by this, uh, along with spending, uh, throwing a whole bunch of money down a rat hole along the way. Transportation.
1: <laughs> what you see in here, there's less of that than I was expecting. Um, I mean, my benchmark was President Biden's promises as a as a candidate. Um, I only see maybe a fifth fifth of that in there. So I mean it, this bill's not gonna give us zero net whatever, zero net emissions, not not even close. But it, okay, it's kind of t- taking a two, step that way.
0: There's there's uh, transportation and there's climate, which I wanted to ask you about what, what I noticed in transportation that was what was it, thirty billion for rail and uh um, and another thirty billion straight into the pockets of uh um Large unionized, dysfunctional urban mass transit is that is that roughly correct on, yes. on what's going on here?
1: Yeah, and that, that, that's the orders of magnitude of the amount of money. Um,
0: where where I live, I've since the pandemic started, I've watched the Caltrain run up and down the tracks, totally empty uh, every day. Uh, <laughs> investing in nineteenth century technology of, of where people don't want to live anymore seems like an interesting uh, place to put our money.
1: But there's uh, somewhat more going to. Uh to, you know, electric vehicles and, and that sort of. Well,
0: let's talk about uh, climate. So they are uh, they are advertising. This is the great new climate bill. If you, if you got a chance to get the Green New Deal going, this is it. Uh, what do we got? in? But I, I haven't seen anything concrete. What do we got in here for climate?
1: I mean, I, I came up with one hundred and fifty billion or so being spent uh, aside from the tax credits, which I haven't figured out what they're going to cost. I mean, it depends how many people use them. But the various subsidy so, sides is about $150 billion in there on various climate, you know, trying to make sure certain types of housing are climate resilient, um, to encourage solar, to get the post office to drive electric postal trucks, <laughs> stuff like that, um, $150 billion, which is a lot less than what it would cost to achieve Biden's campaign goals on, on climate. Um, um, but it's not nothing. <laughs> One hundred fifty billions is a lot of well, money.
0: My sense is a lot of these uh, on tons of carbon saved per dollar. I am surprised how I, I see almost no cost benefit analysis or, or even cost analysis. I mean, let's not go to what, what a dollar what a ton of carbon is worth to uh, to us. Just uh, how many tons of carbon are you going to save by various subsidies and measures? Uh, that that analysis seems to be missing. A lot of what you're talking about doesn't sound particularly effective.
1: Yeah, I, I, I doubt. I mean, in the cases where they do cost-benefit analysis, not in this bill, but in other, like with uh, with uh, fuel efficiency standards and uh, on automobiles and pickup trucks, um, I mean, it's very easy to see we're way overpaying for abating carbon emissions. Um, by Obama's standard of what it's worth, we're way overpaying. Um, And and those programs are relatively more direct at the climate than a lot of the things in
0: this bill. Okay. So what what, uh, I'm going to summarize with you, there's a – primarily in transportation, not in, say, uh, cement, agriculture, lots of places. Transportation is only, what, about a quarter of our emissions anyway. Uh, There's sort of subsidies for moving to electric-powered stuff, uh, subsidies for solar panel kinds of things. Uh, but not this is not the Green New Deal by any means. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, in the sense of hitting their targets, they they wanted to, you know, to have electricity produced, you know, net zero. They wanted to have, you know, essentially all the automobiles be electric. But this is not taking it there. you are going to be. If you, it's kind of ironic. If you wait for this bill to be passed, you're going to want to wait. Don't buy an electric car before a bill like this passed because they got all kinds of new. Subsidy, of course, just for the new purchases, not for the old purchases. Ah. So um, they're they're encouraging people to buy them, um, but but not with enough money that it would take to encourage all of us to buy an electric vehicle.
0: I was just shopping for a car, and uh, so I'll tell you the numbers I, I looked at. That a Subaru Crosstrek, uh, if you want the uh, electric version, it costs uh, at least eight thousand dollars more than the comparable gas version. Uh, you know it's going to take me some heck of a subsidy to do that we'll see <laughs> or maybe i'll wait for the prices to come down uh what else what have i missed in sort of big categories of things to pay attention to especially on your and my concern i mean we yes we care about the budget the big debt crisis coming taxes but on on things that are going to change the structure of the american economy in in, uh, in bad ways
1: the family medical leave uh um... ah. That it's a lot of money
0: toward it, and it seems like... Now, is that going to be I, so? we had 12 weeks of medical leave? Is that a mandate that employers shall pay, or is the federal government going to chip in for that? Government. I, I was still working through the
1: details. It looked like the government was paying for it all. But then I, saw, I was reading some parts about how some employers can get reimbursed for their own programs. Um, although a number of these family leave programs are in this bill, say that you can't you're not eligible if your employer is so maybe they're doing both if your employer offers you uh medical leave then you can't participate in the program which is very much an obamacare approach i I recognize the cotton pace from obamacare it's like okay here's obamacare but only for you people who don't work and therefore don't have an employer helping you on this already
0: so, as, as a labor uh, economist, uh, tell us, you know, what's wrong? Why why shouldn't all employers be forced to, if you want to take twelve weeks off, they gotta pay you, or someone's gotta pay you, and you take twelve weeks off? That was a uh, softball, Casey.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is, we, we we all want we all want our cake and eat it too. I mean people people work and they they bring value to their employer, and it's it's uh it's up to them on how do they want to receive it. Do they want cash? Uh-huh. Do they want a nice office? Uh, do they want a short commute? Do they want to have paid leave while they're having children? I mean, th- these are all all up for negotiation. They're all an object of competition. Mm-hmm. Certainly employers who offer one and not the other, uh,
0: you know, trumpet that. Um, so you're pointing out the, the grand fallacy that uh, there's this enormous pool of profits that we just have to suck out of companies, uh, that if somebody's going to take the 12 weeks off and get paid for it, it's going to come out of somebody else's paycheck, uh and so that's definitely true. Uh I think it also uh, there's a pool of employers. I, I know in, in Europe it is very difficult for women to get hired because employers worry that the minute a woman gets hired, uh she's gonna have babies and, and uh in Europe you get a, a a year off, in Italy you get a year off for every child. And uh the the net result is uh uh you know, Great great for women who got a job, but it's very hard for women to get a job in the first place. Yeah, we've seen that
1: with uh, disability. When Americans for Disabilities Act about 20-something years ago, we saw very much the same thing around disabled people. There was a concern that it, I normally would have hired this guy, but if I hire him, that's going to bring on a whole bunch of obligations. So maybe I'm better off just not hiring him.
0: Efforts uh, similar advice to owners of real estate. If you spot an endangered animal in a wet spot in your garden, shoot the animal and fill in the wet spot fast before the federal government finds out about it. Yeah,
1: shoot, shovel, and shut up. That's the uh, <laughs> that's land one on one.
0: Okay, we're, we're we're running, close. I, I uh, promised our producer we wouldn't talk to, to too long. Uh, are there any other one last uh, big thing to look out for in this uh, in this package? I think I think we covered the big
1: ones. You know, the, the more Obamacare, um, pro union, you know, anti competition in labor markets, uh, the family leave, affordable housing, Green New Deal stuff, and, and child tax credit. I think those are the big ones in terms of money, but I my sequencing there was based on the disincentives for work on average.
0: Well, I think that's, so you and I, I like to call us incentive economists because free market's out of style. Uh, but, um, you know, economists really, we don't have much to say about the distribution of income, but we have to say something really big about horrible incentives, especially incentives that keep uh, Americans at the lower part of our uh, income scale uh, trapped where they are. I guess uh, we didn't talk about the effect on family formation. You're also a Gary Becker student of uh, the the various provisions there. You know, the tragedy in our our, uh, society is that so many children are being uh, brought up by one very bedraggled parent, um, and uh, this doesn't seem to help on that. But I guess we'll have to – unless you have two cents you want to push on – uh, on the effect on on family formation. This just looks well, like good. Please. There are new marriage taxes in there,
1: uh, no no doubt. Uh, and then these have gotten some attention. In the old days, you know, all of us in our profession would acknowledge this. The most articulate on this was James Tobin. I mean, who was Kennedy's, he was a Democrat, he was Kennedy's <laughs> economist. And he wrote beautifully on this and talked about, you know, we're subsidizing desertion. This is what he called it. Hey, don't be surprised when we get more desertion, James Tobin said. Uh, most economists wouldn't have the guts to say that today. Uh, yeah, and we're, su- we're maybe subsidizing. Economics has
0: changed. There, there's a uh, there's a household production uh, that many things are, uh, you know, su- subsidizing every, uh, things to be done externally that uh, can and maybe should be better done within the household isn't necessarily a good idea. And and I'll come back to my hillbilly elegy experience of the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, you know, a lot of that was not about incentives and programs. It was about the uh, destruction of families. Well, uh, we have, I think, a mountain of disincentives before us, and, we, and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Casey. I'm, I'm glad to have a discussion on the economics, the incentives of this thing, and not about the politics and, and the budget and, and all the rest of it. Good to see you, John. Good to see you, Casey.